Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Happy February. Happy February. What are you giggling about? <laughs> Another headphone emergency you know, over there. It's not an emergency. <laughs> We're making a big deal about nothing. It's fine. <clears throat> okay. My headphones simply cannot hold a charge, apparently. <laughs> You know what? What? <laughs> Did you know there's a way to like reset those? I wonder if I'm leaving them on. Can you leave them on? If you leave it plugged in, it stays on. No, I don't do that. Then it's off. Yeah, that's crazy. But I was having a similar problem. You just have to reset them. There's like a okay. hold the power button in for some time. I'll right. go get you a pair of the, um, I'm the other. I'm You're good. good. You're good I'm, with. I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> don't need anything special here. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. All right. <sighs> I missed you guys last week. Yeah, we missed you too. Yeah, you guys had Mike points on. We did. Yes. Talk about reno loans. Talked about reno loans. Talked about doing your own fixer-upper. Yeah. Your own flipper flop. Oh. Your own, uh, what are the two brothers who do this stuff? What's their show? Property Brothers. Property Brothers, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I love that show. Surely you talked about the fact, though, that that loan can be used to, like, Put in a jacuzzi and oh, we energy talked about efficient the windows. Whole amazing backyard landscape, mm-hmm. the outdoor living space you could create, and yeah. with that loan, those loans, and and then some. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a cool yeah, program. Awesome. Pretty awesome way to take a a piece of aging uh, property and convert it into your brand new dream home. Mm-hmm. I was on the phone with a gal this week. That's really like really conflicted about whether or not she should sell her house to buy something more. Uh-huh. Sounds like the house is like, it's in Templeton. Sounds big enough. Sound Honestly, it sounded like she was bored with it. Hmm. She's like, it just doesn't have, that you know, happens. it just doesn't have the wow thing, you know? That happens. And so I'm going, well, you got equity in it. You got prop 13 taxes. So it's yeah. a, like a pretty good deal. Maybe you want to consider doing a, a remodel. Just something that would that reignite that spark between you and your kitchen or whatever <laughs> it is, you know? What part of the house do you really use? Yeah. Does Some house... people are really into the kitchen. I, I think I would want, like if I was doing yeah. that, if money was yeah. no object and stuff, I would want like a, I would want a sweet music room. Like a home theater, cool. home studio, cool. music room. Yeah. That'd be sweet. High fidelity. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I like to cook myself. So yeah. the, the newest kitchen? stuff in the kitchen, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Man. I, yeah, the music room would be good too. I but. knew somebody that remodeled their kitchen a few years back and spent $100,000 in the kitchen. Did you? <laughs> yeah, <was> <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, we did a kitchen remodel. That they stuff get adds expensive. up fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did, but they did like this huge, I mean, everything Viking and just yeah. oversized. Like you could enter, yeah. I was like, you could do like a <laughs> catering job out of the kitchen. Just beautiful kitchen, by the way. But um, yeah. I don't know. I always feel like if a kitchen like works and stuff, then it's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spend my money in the kitchen, but yeah. I know it's a big deal for most people. 
Mm -hmm. I I was looking at a list this week of improvements that you could make on the home Mm -hmm. about, you know, things you might do and how much they're expected to cost and then how much they're going to return you. And the kitchen's always where you get the bang for the buck, right? This list was suggesting the kitchen was like going to cost you 10,000 bucks more than it was going to fetch you back in value. I don't know. You know, know about that. The but shorter, it's so expensive. What's the like return? The percentage it was like thirty five thousand dollars, and it would get you twenty five thousand in value or something mm. like this, you know. But I think, and people ask these questions a lot, like especially when they're getting ready to sell or something. You know, what could I do to my house? And it's like, oftentimes, or you'll get this question too about solar. Like, well, if I put solar, will my house be worth twenty five thousand dollars more than my neighbor's house? And it's like. Yeah, probably not. But if you and your neighbor were both selling at the exact same time, your house would get picked. Yeah, <laughs> so it'd be it's more like, desirable. Yeah, it has a greater marketability for these sweet upgrades you did, but it doesn't always translate into dollar for dollar like additional value. Yeah. But the ones that were lower on the list that were um seemed like they made more sense was like some front yard landscaping. Like if you did $5,000 worth of front yard landscaping, that would get you like $6,000 of additional value. Um, a nice entry door was another one that if you did that, that would be, and those make sense to me because you pull up and it's that first impression, yeah. right? And it's sort of, because if you pull up and you're like, oh, this place is ho-hum, now something inside has to impress you. Versus mm-hmm. if you pull up and you're like, man, look at that front door. Then you go inside and you're like, oh, and look at this and look at this. Mm-hmm. And like just sets the tone for how you're walking through. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that some of those bigger things didn't even seem to fully get you your money back. Well, um, you know, like painting too, painting in the outside of the house. Yeah. Huge. That's always a big one, especially if you've ever had to paint a house. Uh-huh. Because painting a house is more expensive than you think. Mm-hmm. And it's something that has to be done to protect the whole investment. Yeah. And so you can spend, you know, three, five, ten thousand dollars on a full exterior paint job if somebody does a really good job. And so if you see that mm-hmm. on a house and you know that and you're like, oh, I that's not on my to do list now. Yeah. Same thing for roof. Yeah, roof, roof can be really <laughs> expensive. And when you look mm-hmm. at the roof and you go, Oh man, that thing's in good shape, it's gonna last twenty five years. Yeah. To me, that's got some real value. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna put more cloud in that over the countertops. Because mm-hmm. countertops are a bit easier to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with painting the inside too is like what works for you, somebody else may that's hate. That's what I was just going to say just is that our, at the new house that we just yeah. got, it's got granite countertops, but yeah. me and my wife don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, and we've basically just agreed that pretty much we're always uh-huh. going to have these granite countertops that we don't necessarily like because uh-huh. I don't think you tear out granite to put in a more preferable granite. Yeah, you know, but yeah. So then, all of the <laughs> all some people would. Yeah, yeah, not me. There's too many other things. I was watching one of those home renovation things the other day, and yeah, you know, this would be an easy fix. But the lady painted the room kind of this off white, you know, sure. one of those flip it things. Painted the room this off white, and the border was like this aqua blue, and I was like, probably not. Yeah, uh, not something I would like. I have a but that's that, an easy fix. I have a you know, buddy that but, did that. Picked out a paint that was like had a blue hue to it. Yeah. Kind of nice, actually. It was refreshing. And then redid the whole house in LEDs. But you know, they have like the they have like the true daylight one or the uh, blue so one. Yeah. The cool. But he was drawn to the cool blue ones. Uh, so then yeah, it was like he a puts, little too much blue. So then he puts in all the blue lights. And they're not cheap. If you redo your whole right. license, house in LED lights, they're, they're 
it's an investment. And so now when you go in, it's like, man, I kind of feel like I'm in a submarine or something. I don't know where <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah. but it's like my world is like, it's a nice blue. It's very sterile. Um, feels a very modern blue. It's a, and it's a lively blue, but I'm like, it's what blue. Is this? This is a pretty, pretty blue world we're it's not in here that today. Comforting, bud. warm, like no. welcoming. When I do, when I do the LEDs, I have to get those like the the ones that look more like the incandescent lights. My yeah. dad really likes the blue ones too, and so he puts them in the kitchen. Hmm. Like the first time I went in there, I like flipped on the lights, and they're of course they're incredibly bright, and then they're blue. I'm like, whoa, man! I feel like I'm in a tanning machine or something in here. They're bright. Those things are bright. So yeah, that that renovation loan um, that's a great loan. There's a lot of, um, and I'm I just don't know um, that many people know how easy and accessible those things are. You still have to decide if you're willing to live in a little bit of a construction zone because yeah, if you're doing it like a refi, if you're buying, you can sure choose to move in. Do after it before you move in. Yeah, that that's a way to do it. But what a cool way to like redo some windows, redo some kitchen stuff, get some energy efficient yeah. um, appliances, you know, do those little things that, and if it's a refi where it's something where um, you've, you're in a house that you bought a few years back and it's got all these things that you might like to do or things that you might need to do too. Like what if you really, after all this rain, you're like, you, you realize now you need a retaining wall <laughs> that can be expensive too. So rather than feel like you got to go deplete all of your savings or get a home equity line of credit or do something wild, you might be able to do a renovation loan like this where you can get some money. I mean, it redoes the loan you have, one loan, fixed rate loan, and gets you what you need to take care of your deal. So it could be some things from the wish list, could be some things that are really necessary, like a roof. Yeah. We talked to, we focused a little bit of it time on the protections that it offers a homeowner because not only do you get the improvements that you're looking for but you get a, a third party who's basically got your interests in mind that is vetting out the the contractor and the the quote itself making sure that it's realistic that sure nothing seems grossly inaccurate on it sure. so you've got another set of eyes helping you, you out. guys just went through a, a remodel you know at your house so you you learned more than most people how much of that is just crash course learning oh yeah it's it's There's a lot to know and, you know it's yeah it's hard to know who's got the good reputation who shows up who finishes a job right <laughs> you know it's easy to get people to show up and do 80 percent of it can you get them to the last 20 yeah you know so there's there's a lot of things that um this loan program helps support you in that process and protect you yeah that's a great loan program um and of course you know, something that we can help with. I, I always just encourage people to, especially this week, I was reminded of that, whereas I talked to a couple of people that are at that place where they're thinking about selling their house. And it's like, well, if you, because people say, you know, I really like my neighborhood and I like the kids' school and all these things, but my house has just whatever it is, that dissatisfier. We need one more bedroom or uh, we need X, Y, Z, wish we had a kitchen that had something more than just the electric stove, you know, then maybe you could, you could use something like this to dress your house up. And at the end of the day to sell a house and buy a house, you're going to spend quite a bit of money. I mean, mm -hmm. 
by the time you get just through commissions and closing costs on a sell and a buy, you're probably looking at 10% cost in that whole thing. You know, you don't generally pay commissions on the house you're buying, but you'll pay both halves of the house you're selling. You have an owner title insurance policy, escrow fees, recording fees, all these kind of things. Um, transfer taxes, you typically have to pay all this stuff. And then when you buy your house, you know, typically you got to pay some closing costs there. You've got interest. You've got. Let's say it's between, you know, two to 3% on the buyer's side for loan fees and all the incidentals. Yeah. And I usually, when I'm estimating trying to help somebody on the seller side figure out, like, I'm going to sell my house for 500000 What am I going to net? I usually use a margin of 8% to be conservatively safe on so five for what the it's going to cost you. And then another three. Yeah, exactly. Just for that kind of thing. So if you add those up, you're at 10 or 11% in total transaction costs to go make a move like that. And if you think about that, if you're going to sell a $400,000 house to buy a $500,000 house, you're talking, you know, okay. 900 grand. If that ends up an ultimate cost to pocket of, I mean, maybe you get lucky and you keep it to 8%, you're still talking a pretty big chunk of change. And so, yeah. you know, maybe you end up being able to to revisit that idea of doing a remodel or an addition or something that that might bring your that spark back with your current house yeah um you know along the same lines but a little bit of a different angle is that second liens are starting to come back we're yeah, starting to see more um more investors offer second lien programs a lot of them are offering them as a first and second combo but we we just got approved um a month ago with a company that offers a standalone second it's a fixed closed-end second lien um, so it's a it's a loan that you could get if you already got a great first yeah that's who I'm thinking property. of property you you refied in the last few years at three three and a half percent you don't want to touch that loan but you want right. to get some equity out to improve your home a fixed second lien or a, an equity line that you can draw on one of those two may be a great option for you and those are those are back now yeah those are really good options too I mean it, it they take careful consideration too though if if getting a second is the right thing for you um Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But like you said, th those are those people I'm thinking of. Like you refinanced three years ago, and you got a three percent, three and a quarter percent, thirty year fix. Don't you don't want to disturb that to get twenty five thousand bucks for solar, right? That's some, you need to leave that big, nice fixed rate loan at yesteryear's rate in place. And and I get it. You, the solar is going to cost you twenty five grand, and you really want it. A second might be the way to go where now you just get a second for 25 grand. Um, you know, using solar as an example, if you're spending $25,000 on a solar system, you probably have an electric bill that's 200 plus dollars a month. And so now you just shift from paying that solar bill to paying that, that second lien. And then ideally you could throw a little bit more at it and pay it down a little bit more rapid because of all of the benefits of solar, I think the truest most awesome benefit of it is when you no longer have any cost to it. You're right. not paying your electric bill. You're also not having to pay the a debt service on putting the system in itself. I think at the same time, the you know the angel on the left shoulder is like, yeah, and you reduced your carbon footprint. Yeah, <laughs> that too. That's awesome too. Getting out of that money part of it, I think, is probably one of the biggest motivators for most people. And so that's where getting a little second like that to – to sort of, um, you know, offset and make sure that you don't end up 
disturbing a first that's a really nice loan. Um, I I helped. I closed a couple of loans uh, just last week for two different borrowers that listened to the show. Um, one of them was uh, a guy that had a first and a second and had a high interest rate on both. And it's just nice to to refi those into one loan. I had another gal that had three loans. With Chase, she had a first, second, and third. Whoa. All of the interest rates were higher than the interest rate that she was able to refi into. And so, um, in fact, we even were able to do a little bit of other debt consolidation. This turned out to be probably a life-changing cash flow difference for her. You know, imagine that. You've got, I think in the end, we ended up paying off a couple credit cards that were reasonable balances that were kind of a nuisance, but then also three loans. So we took five payments down into one, and that one payment was significantly lower than what the five payments were. Um, and and by the way, they were at a position of their life where they were already kind of at the fixed income part, Pat, you know, on retirement, on Social Security, not having. There's no real – those are the conversations we were having. It's like, well – What's the what's the big change for you? How are how are you going to pay off that credit card and that second and that third besides just paying the the what you can every month? Um, have you seen those credit card bills? By the way, when you have like a credit card bill that has like a eight or ten thousand dollar balance, it tells you now it's a matter of law. How long until you'd pay it off if you made the minimum payment? Yeah, and it's like. More 30 than years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah crazy um yeah so anyway nice to be able to to have those kind of things to look at and i think that the bigger point that i was trying to make is that this is not a one size fits all when people come in we want to talk about what what are those things you know what is it a credit card a second a desire to do a remodel maybe you really do need to sell your house and move and we can help strategize how to make that happen but all of those things lead to just getting together and talking about what the possibilities are. A couple so. of those debt consolidation ones that you did, I, I saw one where you were saving the guy almost 700, over $700 a month. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And I, it brings me back to That's one a that, game changing amount of money, by is. the way. That's huge. Because imagine if you got a $700 a month raise at work. That's huge. That That's is huge. huge. That, that makes a difference. Because what if maybe, and maybe that guy was doing all right. So now you're just able to put 700 bucks a month into the savings account? Yeah, that's incredible. That's a game changer. It reminds me of one of the biggest myths in um, in mortgage that continues to linger, and we hear about it all too often, is that you know in order to make a refinance worthwhile, you have to save a full percent in interest rate. And that just isn't the case because the loan balances today are so high that just a quarter of a point yeah. or a half a point, three-eighths of a point, whatever it is, it can save you a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a month, depending on your loan balance. Right. You know, back when you bought a home for fifty grand or seventy grand or even a hundred grand and you financed, you know, eighty percent of that, it might take a full percentage point to justify the expense and the hassle of a refi. Sure. But today when loans are regularly four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, it doesn't take a quarter that much. percent can make over a hundred bucks a month. Yeah, it really does. Um, and you know that 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 myth has been around for a long time. And at its heart I think it's a good one because the message is don't 
just get trapped into refinancing because you think you should. What you're really, what that, that's the elevator speech of that myth. What it's really trying to say is carefully analyze the cost, the cost versus the benefit. Yeah, exactly. And if it, you know, and this is what I always go back to with everyone is these transactions have a cost and you've got interest rate options. And what we need to do is look at whether or not you're going to recoup the cost of this by way of the monthly savings in a reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. In other words, if the refi is going to cost you 3000 bucks, and maybe not even out of pocket, we're just going to add 3000 bucks to your loan amount. You owe 300 today, and after the refi, you're going to owe 303 Then what you want to do is say, okay, for that three grand, what are you? what's the benefit? Well, the payment's going down 300 bucks a month. That's fantastic. That means that it's only going to take you 10 months before you've recouped the cost to doing the transaction. So that relationship, the the need to analyze that, that's where that myth is birthed. Um, that's where you look at that, that the, I, the, your grandpa or your dad or whoever that told you that. He was looking out for you. Don't refi unless you can save a whole percent. Kind of appreciate the sentiment, but today, like you said, with these much bigger loan amounts, the new the new fact that needs to be stated there is understand the cost benefit analysis of refinancing because depending on your loan amount it could be a quarter of a percent it it might only need to be a quarter of a percent to really make sense uh, we got a phone call here we got a Evans calling from Morro Bay yeah I think I know what this call is about <clears throat> we were talking a little bit yesterday on the phone Evans good morning good morning Dan. How are we doing? You calling about your um, your situation that we were discussing yesterday in the office? Yeah. Do you want me to uh, make a brief um, yeah, please, summary of it? Please do. Okay. Well, my mother passed away and uh, in September, and uh, I have access to her living trust, and of course, uh, being the um, executor trustee uh, of it, gave me certain powers along with her will, certain powers to manage her affairs. And some of the language, a lot of the language indicates to me, um, well, let me back up. Her, the property wasn't real estate. It was personal property, as I found out, which, which is a modular home in Los Angeles. So I got a sizable payout check made out to the estate of my mother. But also what is confusing is that they would not make it out to the living trust because my mother's uh, home was not uh, put into the living trust or made in as an estate. So it really got kind of confusing, even though you mentioned that I could probably sign the check over, you know, the the, the check that was the distribution check from the mortgage company to the uh, to myself. The bank is saying, no, I can't do that. I have to actually open up an, an, an account in my mother's name as... Um, in the estate of um, of my mother, and then I could deposit the check. So I'm sitting on a check that I can't do anything <laughs> with, and I don't know if other people have run into this kind of stuff with living trusts and uh, and um, you know estates and stuff like that. So anyway, that's kind of the background. I I hope I got made it kind of clear as to what's going on. Yeah, I think you did a good job. I'm, you know, I offered my two cents, and it sounds like my idea hit a brick wall. I'm wondering if Jason has any 
other so, bright ideas. Well, let me let me let me preface it too. That it seems that certain banks have certain uh, policies that they don't waver from. Like the one bank that uh, I still have some of her, a couple of IRAs in a that are made out to the living trust, and of course her her modular home was not. This the one bank said, "No, we can't touch that check." And then the other bank, it's a local bank, um, said, "Well, yeah, we can do it in this way if you have what's called a letter of administration or a testamentary." And so we kind of done my wife and I did a little research on that, and it seems like we might be able to um, do one or the other. And I'm not sure exactly how to do it, so I might go to a different bank to see. A different bank that my mother had a CD in, since we have some history with that bank, and see if they'll be able to move this money into my account because of the history. So anyway, that that's kind of the quandary of stuff that I got going on. I have a few questions for you, and and potentially sure. some advice, if only a referral here to give you. But uh, first of all, condolences for the loss of your mom. I, that, oh, thanks. That's got to be difficult, and it wasn't that long yeah. ago. Um, so my my first question here is the the personal property ultimately that was sold. I mean, you you called it a modular home. Sounds like there was a it was probably what in some kind of a park on leased land or something down there. Yeah, exactly, that's exactly what okay. it was. And so it was it was legally personal property, and so it wasn't titled into the trust. They didn't have the vesting in the trust. I get that. Um, right. And then it's sold. So the um, when it's sold, who handled that escrow? Or was it an it was, escrow? It, it was an escrow company in um, Mission Hills. And they cut the check. So this is the check that you're holding is ultimately from an escrow company, right? From an escrow company. And, 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 and their, their, their statement to me, sorry to interrupt, but their statement to their statement to me was that um, by escrow law, escrow law trumps wills and um, trusts as far as how they dis- distribute the check. Right. So they're unwilling to make the check out to my mother's living trust, which I could then deposit into the bank. And so she then made this check, the escrow agent made this check then payable to your mom's name personally, correct? No, to uh, a state of my mother's name. A state of, okay. Yeah, is anybody, she won't change that. Is anybody helping you with the estate planning component of this, or are you just really trying to tackle it all on your own? Well, because the I was tackling it on my own, we have a, um, a uh, an appointment with a uh, an attorney that's going to help us to take us by the hand and walk us through the rest of this. But this is the last uh, item that we need to take care of with my mother's affairs. And the the reason it didn't go to probate, my understanding, it didn't need to go to probate because there was no real property involved. And two, because it was personal property, it was the language in all of the, uh, in the trust and in the will and what they call a pour-over language uh-huh. indicates that all of this stuff can just, you know, I can work it out. But I'm getting these little um, hang-ups with the bank and with the escrow company, and 
in how they're handling this kind of stuff. So I think kind of one of the reasons I'm calling this to kind of tell, tell people out there that, you know, there's, there's some, you know, even though it seems it's like it's a slam dunk. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, there's so uh, Evans, as you're talking right now, it's funny because this is awfully similar to how our business works. The reason we work with so many different banks is they all have these interpretations of what they will and won't do. Yeah. And they oftentimes don't even seem based in logic. It's like the board takes a position on something based on somebody's opinion, and they, they're they not conforming from one bank to the next in terms of how this thing is viewed. Um, I, I've seen some similar type of things happen, and um, I do, I think that meeting with an attorney, you know, preferably an estate attorney to, to get that, uh, make sure that you get it right. I, I feel like the, the way that I saw it another time was that an account was created, um, basically, if I recall, this was years back, but I think that the, the trustee created a new bank account at an institution listing, both of you and you're as the executor of that um, trust, you're able to do that. And then they were willing to accept that check. And then ultimately, because you're on the account too, then the funds can be dispersed back through that account. I do think it requires the creation of another account. Uh, but again, not every bank's going to be willing to do that. And that's where I think that you utilizing a professional estate planning attorney that that is because they'll they'll oftentimes they revest accounts they understand the ins and outs with the different banks and which banks are a little bit more accommodative to those kind of things i think that utilizing somebody that does that professionally is probably going to be the best thing for you um, it sounds like you already have an appointment with somebody the person that i usually refer these kind of things to is a gal named april curtsy in town she's right here in slow okay. um, is a family law and estate attorney and is an awesome problem solver and, and also one of those people that um, takes helping you personally, you know. Um, and so without knowing who it is that you're already meeting with, if you want to get, you know, a second opinion or, or whatever, that's the person that I would – I think her law firm is called Curtsy and Curtsy. Um, I've heard that. I've yeah. Heard that. And – but that that would be my suggestion, and and yeah, like you said, I mean, we didn't. I don't think we solved any great problem today, but I do think it's a great reminder to everybody that not all banks are equal, and just because it's a bank doesn't mean that 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 what they tell you is law or truth is. Um, these banks are ultimately businesses where they run off of sometimes opinions or you know priorities, things that they and they don't make it clear to us. They'll they'll tell us that oh well this is how this has to be done, and another bank will tell you something entirely different. So, um, well, what it seems like is that the bank, the one bank, had their legal uh, representation and in, in, internal legal representation. Uh, came up with um, um, a flat no, and then this other bank came up with this legal representation uh, de determination that um, well they'll they'll accept this uh, testamentary. You know, right. or, have you heard that before? Yeah. Okay, so they said that if I can get that, then they can open the account. But you know, it's just. Um, it's just, it's just where one of the things too that the bank, I mean, that the escrow company said, well, she says keep a, keep one of her accounts open so we can put the money into the account, 
you know. And I says, okay, so I left the money open in the IRA, didn't close it or anything. I left it open, but because it was in the living trust, uh, when it came down to it, the my and my, I didn't understand it, and it seemed like it was simple. And she just said, well, just you know, leave leave it open. And so the the the, the meld the the mesh between the um, the language of the estate, which she had to write the check into out to, and the language of living trust, they don't talk to each other right. well enough to get the money moved into that account. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, they, she she wasn't clear enough with me, um, but maybe she didn't think she needed to be. She just thought yeah. Of the estate, and for what it's the, worth, the estate, the estate. just so you know. Um, you know, I we deal with escrow companies day in and day out, and it's possible that escrow companies will sometimes do the same thing, <laughs> where they kind of tell you one thing, and they'll even suggest, well, legally this is the only possibility, and then and then kind of hand you this check where, if it turns out that they've created basically an impasse for you, where you have a check um, that can't possibly be. Um, used or dispersed, then they may have to revisit it too. And so sometimes you just have to go farther up that chain. But um, yeah, my suggestion is I th- you're definitely to the point right now where you need to bring in the legal professional, unfortunately, to kind of help figure out what the, the next couple steps, because they either need to be able to help you figure out how to deposit and disperse that, or they need to figure out how to get that escrow company to change their finding and make it payable um, another way. Uh, you know, and you know what's weird is that they're saying that I can actually open account even after my mother's passing, which <laughs> that's, that's just a, seems fundamentally odd. I think, yeah. um, but it, maybe doable. that's the only way it can happen. Yeah, but it, but that's doable. You've heard of that in the past that people can open up an account after. Well, only at Wells passing. Fargo, but I think they stopped that practice now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. I am not aware that you can do that. Yeah, I I just don't have enough experience in that. Yeah, Evans. Thanks so much for the phone call today. It's uh, it's a, it's great to kind of spread that out and um, and good luck with it. Give us a call if you need April's contact information, and uh, we'll go from there. Guys, it's time to do a commercial break here. Uh, we got a couple minutes. Take some time to thank the sponsors. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Watch this dude jump into a pool with a guitar. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't ruin a good guitar like that. Uh, no. Yeah, Brad Paisley. We need to have that Eric Ferrangi back then. That's what yeah. usually. Ferrangi. Eric Ferrangi. I almost want to say Ferrangi when I say his name. <laughs> you know, Star Trek. Anyway. No. Star no. Trek. <laughs> oh, are you a Star Trek guy? Uh, yeah, uh, well, Star Trek and Star yeah. Wars. Probably more Star Trek. But... I would have never known. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good call from Evans. It was a complicated little deal he's working on. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, and it does remind me that there's oftentimes in our business you run into people who, you know, not trying to, you know, give you wrong answers, but just going the safe route, saying this is the only way it can be done is the answer. It's the easy answer because I'm confident in that being Right, but there might be another way to do it. And well, in all of these things <laughs> like this, you know, the easiest thing to do, like, you know, these banks, is just say no. Yeah. Because then it's not my problem. I don't have any liability in it. I'm not going to get caught up and do anything wrong, helping you, you know, embezzle some money that belonged to some other people somehow or other by helping you do X, Y, Z. So they just say no. And I, you know, to some degree, that's the same thing that happens with loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... Hey, I, this is my issue. And they run out the whole issue. And then basically what you get is that, yeah, that we're going to have to pass on that. We're not comfortable with that. Yeah. And, you know, I learned that back in my underwriting days. If you can be done with your work, you get to the desk at 8. You can be done by 830 if you just issue denials. <laughs> you really can. You can do six denials in a half an hour. Let's take a couple minutes. But you want to, like, figure out how to make a deal with someone and figure out what it takes to actually make this a a legal and compliant and valid transaction, there's some work to do. And it's not, that is not the easier thing to do. So it it is, it's a, in some cases, I think it's a kind of a top-down mentality of the place where you are and how management sees whether you should be pushing hard to help make deals or just being really conservative, you know, like they did with Evans. The first bank just said, no, nah, you, you can't do that. You need to go to another bank. Mm-hmm. Um that's super frustrating. And likewise, I wonder, too, if that escrow agent 
Right. Maybe there was two or three other options, but those were the ones that, well, that's a little gray or they, they require two more steps of me. And, you know, it's it's 458 and I got to <laughs> I got to get I got a dinner reservation. I got to get my hair done. You never know what somebody's got going on and, and whether you're getting the full answer or not. Um, when I was driving in the show today, I was thinking about that. You know, because we've been talking loan programs on the on the show recently, um, and one of the biggest things for me I always come back to is the the uniqueness that is our company. The reason why we have built this company and kept it structured the way that it is, uh, and that that's a perfect highlight of it is that not all banks want to do um, all things. Sometimes they don't even know what they're not offering. Sometimes they know what they're not offering and why. Sometimes banks are just, they get comfortable with the, they create a niche in the market because they get comfortable with the thing that nobody else knows. Nobody else was willing to to take the time and learn it. Like Bank A thought it was just a big liability with a ton of exposure and could, for the minimal amount of you know increased market share, it was going to lead to this bigger liability. Bank B said, hey, wait a minute, that there isn't liability and exposure there. You just have to be an expert at that. And so then they get really good at one thing. Um, it, there isn't any one bank that does it all and does it all well. They're just they're not. They all have a different board. They have a different set of guidelines that, you know, whether it's a a shareholder type of bank where they're looking for revenues or a bigger bank where their their biggest focus is just on being compliant and staying in the black these different banks are all functioning with a different mentality a different motivational level they're they're serving different people um, in different ways. This is probably why there isn't just one bank in slow. Sure. I mean, if, if one bank could do everything, why we wouldn't need more than one bank. I mean, we would have Bank of America, Bank of North America, probably. And it would just be be your everything. Why have any of these other competing interests in, in the transaction? And, and again, going back to it, that's why we structured our company the way we did. We never, we never were just one bank. I mean, maybe for a minute on our first day of business, we had one broker approval, and that was the one bank that we could legally go offer at that point. But by the end of the day, we had two. And before too long, you have 30. And sometimes, like, when we get a new employer or whatever, they look at it and they go, why on earth do you need 42 different banks to sell loans to? It's like, well, if you want to go down the list, I can. Those guys are incredibly good at manufactured homes and this next guy doesn't even do those so that we got to have both of them there you know then this third guy this third guy allows debt to income ratios to 55 percent you don't always need that but man when you really do that's the only way to get it done you know that fannie mae has a rule right now if you had a foreclosure it's a seven-year wait from your foreclosure unless you could document and prove extenuating circumstances. And that's a very subjective. Oh my goodness is uh, it. So some banks just said, I know. I you're not going to come up with enough reasons for me to give you the 3-year wait after foreclosures with your your extenuating circumstances. I had a file one time where extenuating circumstances were cancer. Cancer that led to bankruptcy. We had oncology reports, medical bills, all these things. Give it over to the bank and say, because they said, oh, yeah, we do extenuating circumstances. Great. Here's extenuating circumstances. 
check it out. Cancer diagnosis, proof of deductibles being met, out-of-pocket expenses that were beyond, like the plan hit like its maximum coverage for the year. And so then these people came out of money. It led them into bankruptcy and they lost um, property because of it. So I never saw a better presented case of extenuating circumstances. And a dozen banks said, yeah, we, we, that's not acceptable to us. See, you advertised to me that you accepted extenuating circumstances, and I now have for you the best, and you don't do it. So you should really just remove that from your guidelines entirely. Um, and then we had to find banks that really do accept extenuating circumstances. And so, you know, this is the thing that I always tell people is if you, not everybody has issues, by the way, if you don't have a DTI issue and you don't have a credit issue and you don't have an extenuating circumstance, you don't have anything weird whatsoever. You're like, well, I don't need to worry about that. Okay. Well, now let's get down to the banks because I got banks that they don't accept anybody with an issue. They only offer the best interest rate for the most pristine of borrowers. So is the bank you're walking into that bank? How do you know? You don't know. That's the amazing thing. And again, it's why our bank is structured this way, because we can figure out where, what type of bank you need. What, what is it? What is it? Are you just, you are, you're that good. You just want the one that only takes the pristine people and offers the very best rates. Those banks are out there. They turn their nose up to somebody that had, you know, a, a dead to income ratio that was a 10th too high or a, a late on a Best Buy card. I always joke, Best Buy is one of those companies that um, we say comes with the late. <laughs> you get your, you open up your Best Buy account, it comes with a late payment. It's a, it's just an extra add-on. Um, for whatever reason, people get a Best Buy card and they're like at the register. Well, you want to get a Best Buy? We'll give you ten percent off and zero percent interest for twenty-four months. And you're like, sure. And then they don't send you a bill, and then you don't follow up until they're like going, "This is collections from Best Buy." Um, so anyway, what those all the run the gamut. I mean, and we don't have enough hours in the day today for me to name off to you the differences between banks and what they will and won't do. Um, and so that's that's one of the greatest powers of our company. Like we would come on the radio show and talk about. We can talk about renovation loans and USDA loans and standalone seconds and FHA and no down payment and all these different things. And then at the end of the day, I'm as I was driving, I'm thinking the most powerful thing is this. And it's hard to convey is to get people to understand that it's about the structure of the company, that you really are, no matter what your issue is, you're better off working with a bank that's got, you know... I, I'm an I'm an exaggerator, and I know it. How many banks do we work with? I'm, it's over thirty, over thirty banks that that we work with. There's, you know, we can and, and but you added two are, new ones this week. Yeah, I added like three. So because yeah, you're an underestimator. <laughs> I'm an overestimator. Let's call it forty. Um, but it reminds me of that Lending Tree commercial. You know, when banks compete, you win. And it's like, yeah, well, they they. Banks compete for banks compete for your business in that instance. And for us, it's like you're you're taking a, a loan officer that um, really wants to figure out how to find number one goal is probably the way to get your deal done, especially if there's something weird about it. 
Uh, and then a, a tied for number one goal, a really important thing is we want to get you the very best interest rate and, and closing costs that we can. Otherwise, you're a flight risk through the whole transaction. You 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 know, and there's no there's no shortage. You, you know how to get a hold of Quicken or Cash Call or any of these other companies. We have to be better than them. <laughs> I think last week I received five refi solicitations in the mail on the same day. So yeah, there's no shortage of people trying to get your mortgage yeah. business. And one other thing I just want to add to to what you're talking about here is that our loan officers receive the same commission regardless of which investor they do the business with. So they're only incentive... Or which kind of loan. Right, or which kind of loan. It's always the same commission. So the objective is to get you into the right program with the best rate, the best fit, the best features that fit your situation. Right. And as long as that objective often, is met, the, the commission's the same. There's no incentive to take you down different paths. Oftentimes, the mor the mortgage companies that are here locally are, um, they're either a bank like Wells Fargo, or they're a net branch of a bank with their own name. And one of the things about that that I think is a bummer is they'll, they have these, uh, the way they pay their loan officers. If you do the bank product, you get... X pay, and it's the normal pay. And then if you do the brokered product where you need to go to another bank that's not our bank, um, then we give you 600 bucks, or something like this. And so then the loan officer is like, man, what you really need is to do this deal over here with this other bank. And I like kind of have the ability to do it for you, but I don't make the money and I don't have the interest. And it becomes like a a thing where, again, the customer is just not being served the best way that they could be served. And um, I, I forget I forget what you guys don't know, you know, but um, Dan and I have been in this business now. It's a man, it's going on 15 years of being in the mortgage business and working for a variety of different companies, whether it was a, a privately owned mortgage company or a huge conglomerate mortgage company that's part of a big bank. Um, you know, it, so many different different varieties of how this business operates. And when the recession really hit back in, for me, it was 2007, was um, evident that it was going to be a while of some tough times. And so Dan and I decided to hunker down and start a company. And the reason that we made it and, and we're as, as successful as we have been and, and really continue to be is that we used all of that know-how to figure out how, how you can always just best serve the customer to have the product, have the knowledge, have the time, have the integrity um, you know, and, and for what it's worth, you guys know, I mean, we give the, we give the, uh, telephone number out pretty frequently here on the show and, uh, people would call. Don't you think people would call if you had a town full of people that were thinking this isn't true, this message isn't right, that we don't care or spend the time people would call. Yeah. I would think they would call. Um, and you know. Not that that's a real governing thing. That's not why we do right by the people we do right. Is It's not just because of this accountability, but it's certainly something that's out there. Um, 
one of the customers I'm working with this week, Dan, said, I'm doing my loan with Heritage Oaks Bank. I've been listening to your show for years, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, Thank you. what are you doing at Heritage Oaks Bank? Heritage Oaks Bank, by the way, is in transition of being sold. And they struck a deal. The new company that was buying Heritage Oaks Bank doesn't do loans. So they struck a deal. Um, should I say the name of the bank? It's, it's one of the banks that we were approved of. Yeah, it's Provident Bank Mortgage. Yeah, we do some business. Well, we're approved to do business with them. <laughs> yeah, same way we're approved to do business with Quicken. And how much business do you do with Quicken or Provident Bank, those companies? Not much. You know why? They're not the best. You know, and so anyway, it's just, it's funny. Um, we have, we do have longtime loyal listeners of the show that then call and say, Oh, I've been listening to your show forever. It's great. Um, can you help me? I'm in this loan transaction with Quicken. And I am always like, Wow. You're, you've been listening to the show for how long and you're calling me now because you're mid process with Quicken and it's blowing up on you the, the way we always say that it does. Um, Anyway, kind of a funny thing. Jim. Jason. I wasn't paying close enough attention during the last commercial break. Were those the new commercials? I don't believe so. Do you have the new commercials? I don't believe so. <laughs> Dan, did you forward them? Or was it supposed to be Justin? I don't. I, I like, did nothing. I think, no. It looks we don't like, have the new commercials approved yet. In other words, oh, no, we're not part of by whom? We should talk. Oh, there's a <laughs> Get meeting. on the same page. There's a By meeting the way, we're 30 my... seconds from a commercial break. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. We have to make sure that they're good. We'll have to get them in. All right, guys, this is the top of the hour break. So we got like five minute break here. Go get a fresh cup of coffee. Do whatever you got to do. We got a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. And I'm we got some stuff to talk about. Jobs report, some of the Trump stuff. We got some real estate things. There's a lot coming. So stick with us for another hour of Mortgage Matters. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Second hour of Mortgage Matters. We had a excited. Get excited. We had a great call from Evans and Morro Bay in the first hour. If you have a question or would like to share a comment, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 543-8830-543-8830. Um, yeah. Got hey. a little bit of news to go through. There's definitely some news to go through. Um no shortage of excitement in the markets lately, huh? 
Oh. Yeah, well, we crossed the big 20,000 mark in the Dow, crossed back under it, crossed back over it. Yeah, just <laughs> just can't decide what side of it we want to be on. Very exciting. I mean, I, th the market just does that. I oh, There was some FOMC Yeah, I'm going to nerd out week. a little bit later about the bond market, but we'll, we okay. should talk about the mainstream news here a little bit. On the bond <laughs> market, did you see that article, by the way, about Bill Grossman, who said... Um, He's been talking about the bond market lately, no surprise. Uh, he runs PIMCO. He anyway. did. He did. Yeah. He got ousted there, and now he's somewhere else. So, yeah, we'll talk about that stuff later. I got a couple clippings about the bond market, okay. too. That's fun. Um, I thought a, a nice... Oh, before, I was going to say, a nice jumping-off point. We should talk about the jobs report. Sure. Um, but right before we do that, next week on the show, guess who's going to be on the show next week? I don't even know. And guess who's not going to be on the show next week? Who? You're not going to be on the show next week. Okay. Unless you want to, but um, we scheduled Mike Points to come on, and he's going to be bringing on a CPA. Oh, cool. Yeah, and CPA is always a fun one because there's all these questions. I already have a list of questions. Um, er <laughs> earlier, like we were saying about how, because you know, too, we've even shopped CPAs. Sure. They have difference of opinions about how things could and should be done. Um, so there's a lot of questions about the home, though, and, and deductibility write-offs, but also income questions, all that kind of thing. And it's timely, too, because tax season is coming. That always makes my stomach knot up a little bit just to acknowledge tax season's coming. But, yeah, so next week Mike's going to be on, and he's bringing on a CPA. So it presents an opportunity for you to have a day off and listen from home if you want. Sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. So that being said... Let's talk about the jobs report. Yeah. It was a good one. I saw an article this morning um, that was the bummer about the jobs report. Did What's you see that? that? No. Is it about earnings? Yeah, it, it, the bummer. So first of all, the jobs report, there was some upward revisions to the prior month. So this is February jobs report um, is all for the data of January, but they also have the sort of finalized report for the month of December. So we saw some upward revision there. Um, February, we sort of knew on Thursday when the ADP reports came out that that it, it felt for sure that January had the potential to beat some expectations. Um, expectation um, was in fact shattered. I mean, more than 50,000 uh, more than expected. We had the great surprise was 227,000 jobs created for the month of January. And remember back uh, just a month ago, Janet Yellen came out to give us all um, uh, almost a little bit of reassurance that our economy really needed only 100,000 jobs a month. And it, it was because we sort of had a that December report wasn't great. And um, you have all those seasonal and retail jobs. It was kind of surprising. I think it was 136,000 at first read last month, right? Something like that. Anyway, she came out and said, hey, it's like 100,000 jobs you need to be on a good pace, what America needs to be keeping up. And so, boy, this is a good one. When you right on the heels of that, we get 227,000 
jobs added. Yeah, there was also an upward revision for the past two months by about 39,000, 39, which meant that we now have the final readings for 2016. 2016, we averaged 187,000 jobs um, new jobs per month yep. for the entire year of 2016. So that's a good number. And in light of Janet Yellen's comments about what we need, you know, our average for last year exceeded our monthly needs. So that's good. That's that's a, obviously a contributing factor to why we're seeing the unemployment rate, you know, under 5% right now. My, and my notes, starting the year off great with 227. My notes that I clipped too, I, I, I brought in the numbers from 2015, Job growth averaged 213,000 jobs in 2015. So we we were actually off the pace a little bit too. But and it felt that way. And don't you expect that though, as the com- the country sort of returning closer to that full employment? Yeah, less people out looking for get, jobs. If it takes 100,000 to keep up with population growth, it's an unrealistic expectation for you to think that you could average 300,000 a month for a whole year. Yeah. Um, I think, in fact, each year you'd expect this number probably to average down a little bit. And, of course, what you're looking for in those metrics is head of household jobs. You're looking for um, the segments of the population. This was the one where the headline that says the bummer about this jobs report is that the age group um, 25 to 54, uh, and that's – that's Prime some, earning years. Yeah, that's basically, <clears throat> I was going to say, that's probably the heartbeat of the American yeah, worker right it there. It sure is. Um, there was a sharp decline in the numbers of the people working in that group last month. So mm. you had a pretty good creation of jobs, but what you end up with is a jobs report that, um, you know, kind of really looks nice and frilly. But again, the wages are still lagging around a little bit. And, um, you know, this, that segment, that those, I think that's probably the most identical part of head of household jobs. That's the 24 to 54 year old. Yeah, definitely. I got a quick question for you guys. Yeah, um, ladies shoot. listening off air. So I want to uh, try to get it in here anyway. Um, she, you were talking a little bit ago about heritage Oaks bank and how they're being assumed by another bank. Uh huh. And she has property loan through Heritage Oaks, uh-huh. and she doesn't want to continue with the new bank, and it's about a nine hundred thousand dollar loan. And she said that there wouldn't be any way there would be a um, there would be money to be able to back up that loan. So she's wanting to know if your company can assume loans like that. Assumption, no. Um, so, but basically, the answer is she probably needs to do a refi. And, it, and it's probably worth exploring anyway, especially at that loan amount, because the the jumbo mortgage market has been getting healthier by the day. I mean, we see it when a new big national lender comes online offering a big jumbo loan mm-hmm. change, like expanded criteria or a lower rate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we get announcements from all of the banks that we work with that, hey, guys, look at this. There's new jumbo product. That's really been the fastest, I don't want to say growing because I think it's still returning to where it was pre-crash, but the jumbo market, um, it, it's it's coming back in a big, big way. Um, and so I'd, I'd venture to say it's worth exploring to see what kind of offers we might have for that loan. Um, and but and just I know I get ticky tacky at this at some point, but assumption is a different thing than a refi. Okay. Um, 
then switching to a new institution. An assumption means that you're taking the existing instrument mm -hmm. and either changing the person that's owing or the person that's owed by way of a modification of the existing loan. Okay. And the reality is that that used to be something years ago, and I think probably what happened is that it turned out to be assumptions are better for consumers than they are for banks, and mm -hmm. so banks basically worked in verbiage that loans became non-assumable. Okay. Today in the market, the only loans that are really assumable are loans that are like the government-issued loans, VA, FHA. Those loans are assumable loans where, like if I owned a house that you wanted to buy and I had a good FHA loan for 3% interest, mm -hmm. we could go through an assumption process where you would literally take over my loan. You would get my loan terms, my balance, my interest rate, my payment, and they would just substitute your name for mine if you qualified for the assumption. So it's a little bit of a different thing, but yeah, there... Um, and by the way, that that caller that asked this question, there's going to be a lot of that because Heritage Oaks, especially on some of those asset-backed programs mm -hmm. or big business like line of credits, these different things that were really bank in nature um, as opposed to like, you know, just something that was a more marketable, normal loan. The ones that are more, more proprietary bank in nature, those things like... Those are oftentimes you'll get contacted to go figure out how to renegotiate that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of commercial loans, line of credit, these kind of things, they're reviewed frequently. And, you know, we we speculated on the show a couple, I mean, it was probably six weeks ago now when we first learned that Heritage Oaks Bank was being acquired by another bank. The bank that's buying them is not in the mortgage business. They don't want to be. And that's why they've packaged up and sold their mortgage business to Provident Bank. Yeah. So um, absolutely, that's something that we'd love to help with. And as always, if it proves to be something that I can't actually do, mm -hmm. it would be surprising. But if it's something I can't actually help with, then I've got some referral options where I can point her in the right direction of where she might be able to get that help. So, so maybe should she try to contact you on yeah, Monday morning? Yeah, she should um, give us a call. The office number is 543-LOAN, 543-5626. Or you can send me an email, jason at centralcoastlending.com, and I'd, I'll be happy to, to follow up and, and see what, you know, what it takes. So obviously we're going to need to get a little bit more info from her about the nature and specifics of the deal, but then we can figure it out. And if I can help, I'll help. And if not, I can point you to somebody that can. She said that she hadn't even received any sort of notification yet or anything. From the bank. Yeah. So, so from what I understand, it, it's going to be multi quarters here before it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. Although one of the loan officers we know at Heritage Oaks said they're beginning to transition this week to Provident Bank, mm -hmm. yet I heard other people say that it was going to be ideally by year end. Mm -hmm. So um, who knows? Does that mean that the actual name on the bank will change next I don't week? Yeah. The, well, not next week. That's The merger mm -hmm. isn't complete for a number of months. and okay. But then the Heritage Oaks Bank will no longer right. be an entity. Around yeah, there. I heard one. they're keeping that name on the branch for a quarter or two more. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? So, but yeah, great question. And, <laughs> so 543-5626 um, or jason at centralcoastlending.com. That's she, right. She, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so um, 
anyway, that jobs report, I guess ultimately it's a good report. It's nice to see those numbers because what the flip side could have been that you're back to 100,000 and some change and not looking good or keeping up with averages. Yeah. Another bright spot was there was an, an extra 600,000 people returning to the labor force, which caused the unemployment rate to actually go up a tenth of a percent. Um, to 4.8%, but that's a good thing when there's m- more people out with confidence that there's a job, you know, that the job market is looking good for them, so they're returning to looking for jobs. And um, I, as far as wages go, for the last 12 months, wages have been, um, they've increased 2.5%. So, you know, that's that's where we'd like to see more. On the year over year. Year over year is 2.5% wage increase. So that's where we'd like to see a little more growth. Smoothing out the month to month, there's a couple of stats here that kind of help you see the trend. The three-month private sector job gain was 193,000 when you look back over the three-month average. The six-month average was 180,000, and the 12-month average 182. So that gives you a little bit of confidence, too, that this last three months is in fact, better than average of what we've been seeing over the preceding six to 12 month period. So um, altogether, it's good. Um, Obviously, we're looking for higher earnings, more head of household jobs, and you want to see that participation rate in the 25 to 54 group really grow. I mean, that's one where I think that's a I mean, obviously, this, this was a, a part of the report that was enough to be to garner a headline of the bummer of the jobs report. Um, that's where you want to see people being gainfully employed, you know, because before that, at that the younger and older ages, that's where you get into some of the more part time work and the, the jobs in hospitality and things like that, where you might have um, not quite that that head of household type of job that you really need. One other bright spot in that report was construction. The construction sector added 36,000 jobs in the month of January. So good sign for, for the real estate industry. It's probably a sign that, you know, preparing for the better weather season and starting to get back to building after winter rainy months. This is a little bit outdated because I wasn't here last week. I didn't get to... Um to share this. I wonder if you guys talked about it, but that's an interesting stat because new home sales dropped sharply in December. That was, and that was kind of a bummer. Um, They were less than expectations and showed a slower pace now for the year. And so it it begs that question of, um, is that indicating of things to come? I mean, that's why we, what is that? That's your computer. What is happening? (laughs) That just happened at the same time I clicked on something on my computer, and I'm like, "What did I, I do?" Like I, saw you click <laughs> like, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, "Yeah, I was just getting the next break I ready." I was like, "I didn't have my mute happened? button on." The, uh, we did talk about the new home sales last week, and you know we we felt it had more to do with the seasonal fluctuations of real estate and less to do with a a bigger trend. You know, if it continues in January and February, I think we've got a problem. Sure. But um, here's the thing too, on new home sales, you don't see too much of these stats, but 
How much of that is tied to the inventory? I mean, you're not hearing about new home tracts that are sitting unsold. Right. So part of this just has to do with when you see that reduction of volume of homes that are selling, it, to me, it means that there's a, a, a there lack a, of inventory. Yeah. And so you're... It's just probably an anomaly where those homes didn't hit market enough there for whatever reason. If it was weather-related or any of these kind of things, they didn't complete and hit market. And so I think it's one of those metrics that you kind of got to zoom out a little bit and, and want to smooth it out. And like you said, if you see two or three months in a row of that indicator rearing its head, then maybe you can draw some conclusions about it. But um, that right off the heels of learning that the new home sales were disappointingly low, then the jobs report reveals that in that same month, you've actually seen a pickup in um, construction jobs being hired, which tells me couple that with last month when we reported um, housing starts and building permits, building permits were at some substantial double digit record highs. And so um, that's why those people are being hired. And that to me means that look for those homes to come to market probably right about springtime, right? Yeah. Five, yeah. six months from now, you we might actually be seeing some really impressive numbers as these permits that are pulled and these people that are hired bring these houses to market nationally. And locally, um, you know, where we've got agents participating in the different um Realtor associations, there's, I think the county is divided into maybe four or so realtor associations. Um, one of our agents was down at the Pismo Coast um, Association of Realtors meeting doing the weekly caravan thing. And there was five pages of new listings in the, the Pismo Coast region, which I believe is covering um, the whole five cities area, if I'm not mistaken. And and south, like basically the whole south portion of the county, and so five pages of listings. That's a lot for those of you who don't regularly attend caravans. There's a lot of new listings. Um, the north coast. I know I was talking to an agent yesterday. Um, not not five pages. There were five new listings, but it's an uptick from what it had been over the the holiday months. So. I think we're starting to see more houses come to market. Inventory inventory should start to beef up, and I think we'll see overall purchase activities start to pick up here as we enter the spring and summer months. Yeah, naturally. I mean, it's I, been slim pickings out there. I've got a few friends looking for houses right now, and there's a lot of stuff that's just not meeting needs, so I've got, we're I've badly got, needing new inventory. Less than last year in terms of like first time home buyers that are pre-qualified out there and looking, I'm working with about a dozen right now and they're frustrated. It's a frustrating market. And, you know, the other thing too, is that frustration level grows if you're looking for the, the real entry level stuff. If your game plan is you're pre-approved for 400,000 and you're in the market for a $400,000 house, your frustration is at like all time high. There, it's so sparse anymore to find things that affordable around the county. And when you do, there's no shortage of people that are after it. So you're you're basically seeing that if it's appropriately priced, it's going into a multiple, you know, offer kind of setup and they're getting at or above list price most of the time, which is interesting because wasn't there speculation recently that these higher interest rates were going to affect affordability and and create like a diminished desire to buy 
I haven't actually seen any of that yet. And I think last week we shared um, some applications figures. In fact, we've got more. Um, it's a weekly reading, so we've got them out this week as well. And I think for the last couple of weeks, we've seen significant increases in purchase applications. So if anything, the higher rates are leading to a, a pretty serious call to action and people are are out applying, getting pre-approved, and out getting ready to look for these new homes that are starting to hit the market now. And it's an interesting time, too. I was going to say it's January. But I'm off by a few days. It's February. <laughs> right. We just come out of that sleepy season. It's been wet and soggy. This is the time of year where people don't buy. You know, you're you just maybe you're feeling revitalized again, but everybody just had a cold. Yeah, everybody right. just was traveling like crazy, kind of spent through your discretionary money, didn't you? On the Christmas presents and traveling and all these things. And like, what's up next? Well, the kids are back in school. Maybe you're starting to, to think about what we're doing this summer, you know? Well, we see the Pozo Stampede tickets go on sale, some announcements from the Mid-State Fair about what's going to start happening this summer. Um, a lot of us are starting to think about tax season. That's a That has a pretty substantial impact to a lot of people. This isn't homebuyer season. Right. Not, not to mention, if you want to sell your house right now, do you want to sell your house right now? I mean, you get, you get muddy boots mm. walking through uh, and... On top of everything else, it's just like you want your house to be seen on like one of the beautiful California sunny days or like the wet and dreary one. Right. Um, I don't think it's a it's a real big season. And so it's a it's a funny thing is like we're we're grappling with this new administration and these rates that kind of went up a little bit. And um, we're we're looking at all of these different things and we're wondering, like, hey, is it is everything OK? And then it's like it's February it's the first week of February. This is sleepy season anyway. We're not we're not all dusted off and ready to to get our big spring plans together. So I think the next few months will probably be pretty telling about how things are headed. And um, I personally am feeling like it's going to be just fine. You know? Expectations for this year: the purchase volume is going to be higher. Purchase applications are up twelve percent from previous um, weeks. Here, they're a whole two points, two percentage points higher than they were at this time last year. And it's the highest um, purchase application activity since June of last year, which is a very interesting statement because June of last year is the peak of home buying season. And January is, that's what we're comparing January to, sure. is the peak of last year's home buying season. So I, I think activity for purchases is going to be good as long as the inventory is there to support the buyers. Well, um, I suppose it's time to do a commercial break. What I, what I was about to say right now, too, is that yesterday, my reading, um, I, I watched a few news clips. I read a few articles. I'm trying to get more information. The Trump administration is looking at a sweeping review of Dodd-Frank and trying to loosen the regulatory environment that they believe have banks not lending money. So throw that into the heap. What's that going to bring for home buyer season? Um, perhaps a couple of things, too, that you, you and I maybe haven't even thought about yet, but what are some of the things that an administration like this can do to encourage you to sell, to beef that inventory up? I mean, you might see... 
some of those things like a, a reduction in capital gains or these other type of things that start kind of creating a little bit more opportunity there too. So who knows? I mean, I will, it's a, again, it's a wait and see type of thing, but it seems like we're poised for um, what's probably going to be a pretty busy year. Uh, yeah. So it's 1031 now. We'll do the middle of the hour commercial break. We'll be back in a couple minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. I was gonna. We can't say that, but anyway, that's pretty funny. What was on the computer there? Anyway, uh, yeah, I like Ozzy actually. I I'm always fascinated by Ozzy, where mm-hmm. I listen to the song and I can understand what he's saying. I know, and you can't and listen to the bloody word he says, and I can't understand. You, you can't get it. Yeah, and his face doesn't even move enough. And his hair covers too much of it, especially with the glasses. I'm <laughs> just wondering. So you, if, yeah. you know how sometimes you can almost look at mannerisms and lips and like piece together things in context. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm. It's all. It's a loss on me entirely when I hear him speak. But then the words, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, have you seen that show that on the History Channel with his son Jack? No. Where they're traveling and seeing different places and historical monuments and stuff like that. World tour, I think it is. It's actually pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, 
So yesterday, the headlines were all ablaze with a couple of Trump things that were going on. One was the removal of the fiduciary role um, or rule. I don't I don't know how best to phrase that. It's a kind of a weird thing. I I'm not positive. I understand that one perfectly. Um, I also don't know that it's imperative that I do because it has more to do with investment bankers and the type of funds that they sell and yeah. the regulatory costs and everything. Financial that goes planning, in. which doesn't necessarily but have a direct impact on mortgage. My ears perked up when he said that the other thing that they were doing was um, signing an executive order to make a review of Dodd-Frank. Now, um, to bring everybody up to speed... Dodd-Frank was a piece of legislation that came out um, as a response to the recession and effectively, I mean, it's a huge, very huge um, set of rules that I I forget now Dodd-Frank enacted something like 1,700 rules or something wild, and they're not even done putting many of them into place. A lot of them affected the mortgage business, and um, some for the good, some for the bad. Some, I think, were no-brainers, and some feel a little bit um, overburdensome to have to comply with. And also, at the same time, it's been a few years now, so we've learned how to operate within the confines of what they are requiring of us. So basically, there's a new regulatory body, um, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and... The CFPB, it's been around for a few years now. We've seen um, they seem to have a pretty long arm. And when they're after a a big organization for investigation or fines, I mean, their fines are um, a million bucks a day for like a a knowing or egregious type of violation. Um, When Trump campaigned, he, he questioned some of the constitutionality of the CFPB and the way that it was um, ultimately thrown together and, you know, wonders if they have the the right or ability um, to do these things that they're doing without the proper checks and balances. And so he's ordered now a review of the Dodd-Frank Act and um, basically kind of makes you wonder, I mean, the, there's... Um, what's on the horizon for that and and what is going to come of that it i don't think it's any secret i mean you at least have heard about this on the campaign trail if not recalling like i mean reagan stands out to me as to be one of the the last presidents that i remember that campaigned and then and then in office made some of these um kind of regulatory i it Man, it's it almost in some regards comes off as a step backwards where it's like we the previous administration in response to whatever was going on creates a set of rules and guidelines attempting to curb a behavior or protect the consumer or, or an industry do something. And this um, fiduciary duty rule kind of similarly um, like we were talking off air about it, I don't feel that I completely understand exactly what's going on. The flyby sounds like the rule is was put into place to say that investment banks need to not operate s- in the best interest of their clients when managing their accounts. That's I mean, that's the definition of fiduciary duty, right? Is that you 
you're the rather principal. than seeking highest profits while providing retirement advice. Yeah, and same thing like for us, I fiduciary duty is something that I mean it, it it's comes in along our with business a real estate too. license. Yeah, we we learn about this and we know about this and basically what it means is if I'm working for you that you I you basically are my principal. I am after you and protecting you, I'm helping you and I'm putting your financial needs before mine. I'm not making decisions on your behalf that are going to line my pockets while damaging you. So when you look at that, like in, in kind of contextually, some of the investment banks that, um, you know, I've heard of lately, like, for example, Edward Jones and State Farm that does some financial services and things like this, it sounds like there's some different accounts that they're not going to be able to sell. And part of it was that these are, um, what's it called when you sort of aggregate a bunch of different investments under one bigger umbrella? Like the Fidelity has these, the 2020 plan. It's like a mutual fund type of thing. So they have these proprietary mutual funds that are their private label. And so they, if they're selling you into basically their private label for the benefit of the power of the State Farm Mutual Fund, when there may be higher fees associated with it or another a, a competitor's mutual fund that might be um, better for the client, that this rule basically, I from what it sounds like, is geared towards, again, making sure that the um in the person managing the account is operating always under fiduciary responsibility of their client that you don't put your income or interest in front of that client's investment interest and that right? sounds like a good thing people who are opposed to the fiduciary rule argue that it increases the regulatory cost, I guess, for the institution to make sure that they're complying with the rule. And it makes it difficult for them to provide products to lower income households. Uh, mm -hmm. Proponents of the rule say that it protects consumers against being gouged for high fees and riskier investments at risk of losing their their capital that, that's invested. So yeah, and that's so, where we're at. And so going back to the CFPB thing, you know, here's here's kind of a a, a, a similarity there. It's a few years back. One of the things the CFPB did was um, fix loan officer compensation. There's a one size fits all loan officer compensation, and I remember then that we sat around and talked about this. And this is why I said we've learned how to operate within the confines of it, and we understand the ins and outs of it a little bit more. But here's the deal: when it first came down, that they said, "Hey." All of the loan officers, you need to choose a compensation plan that doesn't vary from client to client. The idea was you don't get to – you have a little old lady come in that's so naive and, you know, you're and maybe you're, you're even her grandson, her loan officer, and you give her some deal due to inexperience or naivety or whatever, you, you charge her double what you charge this next guy that comes in that's like internet savvy and a great shopper and consumer and really knows the ins and outs and can grind you. He knows how to negotiate. So basically went to the loan officer and said, you don't get to do that anymore. You're going to treat all people equally. You're going to have a fixed rate of commission for every transaction you do. 
I, I see that. And it was a response to loan officers steering people. They were putting them into loan products that were extremely predatory with negative amortization, interest only, prepayment penalties, oftentimes combination of all three. And with firsthand experience, a lot of those loan officers, and I, I'm, I'm saying our firsthand experience in, in um, dealing with, with loan officers back when we worked at mortgage banks, loan officers didn't even know what they were selling. They just knew that they could make Double. more money by putting people into these products. Double or triple. So, so you don't need to know a, a lot. You just need to know that if you can get your client to accept a three-year hard prepay, that you get to make double income. Mm-hmm. So they figured out clever ways to go sell that. And um, so again, those, and they weren't bad people. Those loan officers weren't out to just hamstring borrowers and put them all into into outrageous positions. Like you said, they didn't understand what they were selling. They didn't know what they were selling. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I'm trying to help you guys understand that these were people that were um, their, their salesmen that were trained to offer a product. They learned how they could maximize their gain. And I think it created a whole environment where they put their needs before the needs of the customer. So, That rule comes along. A lot of that changes. Um, At this point, I can say, you know, I I see that. I I see the need for that. But now let me tell you a couple of instances about people where this rule sucks. Get involved in a transaction with a borrower that's doing everything they're supposed to do. And I just had this come up on a deal recently. It nearly blew this deal up. Um, Did you know that if a veteran lives in your rental house, they're required to be given a 90-day notice to move out. I didn't know that. So these people sold their house. It was a rental property. It was occupied by a veteran. They put it on the market. Some buyers came in to buy the house. Oh, we love the house. Here's our offer. Settle up on the deal. 445 grand. Sign here. No problem. Deal's supposed to close in, in 30 days. They come back and say, the seller's side comes back and says, oh, we gave a 30-day notice to the tenant who was month to month. It turns out he's a vet. He needs a 90-day notice. So now to my buyer, you're out. They sold their house. They've put in, you know, they've been making all these changes. Now they've got a problem. They're going to be homeless for 60 days while they wait for this house that they're in contract now to buy. The locking for 90 days is hard. All these different things come into effect, and they're struggling on negotiating it, right? Try to keep the whole thing together. Well, I'm watching all this unfold. This is not the fault of the buyer, and arguably, maybe not even the fault of the seller. Did you know that rule? I've been in this business for 15 years. I was an underwriter. I have a broker's license. I have. If anybody should know these rules, I should know them. I didn't know that rule. I'm not a veteran. That's probably why I didn't know that rule. So anyway, like, look at the whole thing. These poor buyers, my clients, they shouldn't be damaged because of this. What I would like to do, I I can kick in some of my commission. In yesteryear, that's what I would do. I would probably even circle up the real estate agents and say, hey, look, to extend these people's lock for 60 days and go through all it's going to cost thousands of dollars, how about you pay 2000 listing agent, buyer's agent pay 2000 let me pay 2000 Let's all throw our money into the hat. And, and these buyers now, they're going to have to figure out how to straddle the 60 days, but this needs to be something that we could all work out. By Dodd-Frank, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to give these people money. I'm not allowed to reduce my commission for somebody that's over a barrel. Um, likewise, do a deal for a family member or a friend. You're not allowed to reduce your commission. 
um, compete for business where this this borrower goes to this bank and is offered a deal. So it used to be that a savvy consumer could go to four different banks and just keep going back and forth as people want to sharpen the pencil more and more to the consumer's benefit. Hey, give me a better deal because bank B says they will. And you go, well, I'm not going to be undone by them. I'd rather make something than nothing. So you give them a, a you beat the other guy's deal by 10%. So he goes back to the other guy and goes, ah, that Dan, he's hungry for business. What do you want to do about that? You go, oh, I'm not going to be outdone by him, so I'll beat that deal. So a savvy consumer could find themselves a better deal, whereas today, when that consumer goes out and shops, there's not really an ability to do too much of that. Um, the bank itself, like the people that run the bank, might be able to take a concession on their side, but they're going to honor the commission to the loan officer in its entirety. So at some point, the hand becomes tied. So, and again, I'm just... Going back to say, um, Trump now has ordered a review of Dodd Frank, which he has said is a a terrible rule that it's a it's a strangling chokehold rule, and and there's a lot to it. But so here's the deal. My question to you: um, What parts of this do you think are the parts that need to be revisited? Um, how burdensome has it become? And like I said, we've gotten good at operating within the confines of of what we're allowed to do. But um, some of it does seem there's some pretty hefty burdens. This new rule with the um, with TRID, with the wait period, that and this is a CFPB requirement, yeah. the no before you owe component where you have a three-day wait on your closing disclosures and these another three-day wait for your right of rescission. These There's some regulatory burden here that's costing banks and consumers money to comply with. Sure. Yeah, I th I think that there's a lot of good components of Dodd Frank. I think you have to just look back, um, you know, eight to ten years ago and see where we came from and why these rules were implemented. It became very clear that there was a lack of oversight over the um, the banking world, the mortgage world. Um, we found that there was no one agency in the government that was responsible, primarily responsible for overseeing certain aspects of mortgage and investment banking, but there were several different agencies that had some requirement to oversee them. So it was kind of like it ended up being this big finger pointing, oh, well, I thought your agency sure. was doing that. Well, we thought it was your agency. And so there wasn't very clear uh lines of, of who, which agencies were primarily responsible. So we cleared that up with CFPB. Okay, CFPB is the agency now that's to be primarily responsible for overseeing these agencies. So that, I think, is a good thing. Now we, we clearly know who to hold accountable. Um, I think that we identified problems with uh, loan officers steering borrowers into riskier products, um, whether for personal gain or to just, you know, get more people who maybe shouldn't be qualifying in the first place into loan products. Um, so I think, you know, getting some rules related to that was important. You know, the example you bring up about, um, you know, the inability to help out someone who is being um, charged fees that have nothing to do with them not being able to perform, perform in a transaction. I think that's frustrating. But at the same time, 
you know, let's say let's say that you revise the rule and say, okay, well, we can't. Everyone's going to be held to a fixed compensation, so we're not accused of steering the less savvy consumer into higher profit margins. Um, but we're going to implement something where you can help someone, um, you know, when when you when it seems justified. Well, I could see the problem where everyone's just going to set a really high level of compensation. Oh, well, we're it. all going to make five points on every deal, right. and we'll just reduce it for the savvy consumer and justify it as some other way. I, there's there's all these potential issues there, so it's it's tough. And um, well, I think there's more good than bad with that one, but maybe there's a way after reviewing it that you can accommodate some, some of, of those s- things. Yes, I love the appraiser rules where there's. Um, some anonymity, keeping some neutrality with appraisers. I, I think that is a good rule. It helps um, make sure that there's less potential for collusion between realtors and title and escrow officers and builders from you know, cons- you know, just fabricating values and um, doing these these flip schemes and and things like that that were happening. So sure. there's a lot of good stuff. That's in there. And yeah, I think with anything, whenever there's a problem that's identified, um, the other thing that comes to mind is I think it was Greenspan who said, oh, I had no idea that, you know, that negatively uh, amortizing loans negative, were even offered. Yeah, that the, and nor, let alone did they make up 40% of the mortgage market or whatever ridiculous amounts it, it was. Totally. So it's clear that there was a need for oversight. Yep. That that part's I think undeniable. Um, some but of those with things, anything, when you identify a problem and you you react to it, there might be some overreaction. And I, and I do think that there's an opportunity. Hey, we've had a few years to see how these changes actually affect the industry. Right. Let's see if there's anything we can now refine to make it better and keep the industry functioning the way it should be. Sure, regulation. You know, it's like looking back to this. Like for me, growing up, I always remember the. The conversation that was around like the Reagan era, like, well, how come your factory can't produce a million widgets a day? You can only do 400 widgets a day. So the EPA made us put these scrubbers on the smokestacks that have reduced our ability to make a a million widgets a day now to 400,000 widgets a day. Um, Okay, here's new. I'm repealing that. Take the scrubbers off the smokestacks. And go back to making a million widgets a day. In fact, build another factory and make two million widgets a day. It's like, huh. I'm not convinced that's the right approach. And so in, in when Trump, whoever it is that at this direction goes back through the Dodd-Frank stuff to figure out the pieces of it that are good and necessary that have prevented some of these problems... Uh, from reoccurring. Additionally, to go identify some of those things to say, hey, look, on the CD thing, on an owner-occupied refi, you don't need a second three-day rescission. You're charging six basically calendar days now to every transaction for review where the law's really always been three. And to be honest with you, I'm not convinced that the people that wrote that three-day wait into every transaction probably realized that it was going to be double counted on an owner-occupied refi. And so there's some things like that where it's like, hey, look, you don't need to do that. And like on the purchase transaction, 
Um, you have that three-day wait. That's a sufficient wait to buy it. That's a f sufficient wait to refinance it too. It be and also because we've got these other checks into place of that we have to prove that somebody's got a um, a net tangible benefit to be doing the refi in the first place. Mm -hmm. So um, again, you're going back to some of these things were just some additional regulatory burden that's providing no additional benefit. Um, you mentioned earlier about some of those products and not understanding, you know, the negative amortizing, all those kind of things. Many of those products now have been made illegal. So you can't offer those things anymore anyway now. And so at the time, it as the because when I mean California got the homeowner bill of rights, and I think California now has a no negative amortization law on the books. Um, when you go at the time when those things were being drafted in the state, those same things were being um, worked into the Dodd-Frank stuff about qualified mortgages, what makes up a qualified mortgage, and whether a company needs to have a stake in that loan long term if it doesn't meet certain criteria. Some of that stuff makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, and like you said, having one agency that now definitely has the accountability for overseeing um, this in its entirety that makes a lot of sense to me. That being said, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is currently, um, they're basically looking at anybody that's in the financial services industry. They're they're monitoring the check-to-cash business, the auto loan finance business, the the jeweler, you know, credit card finance. They're, they're, they've got their hands in all of this stuff, um, and that's why it's so many pages, and it's a whole lot that doesn't even apply to you and I in the mortgage business, but... Um, it's a huge piece of uh, regulation, and I and I hope that when they go back through it, it's from a more common sense approach that keep those parts that fixed those problems that that maybe um, that are preventing us from repeating that stuff again. I hate the idea that it just becomes pulling the scuffer off the factory and going back to say, ha. Yeah. Just, we just blow the thing up and you guys just go do whatever you want to do again. That's not a good thing. When I hear rationale like, you know, these rules are preventing banks from from giving out loans. And if there just weren't these rules, then banks could go back to lending. Banks are lending. Yeah, banks right? are lending to people who prove they can afford the loan. You know who banks aren't lending to? People who can't prove yeah, they don't that they the can criteria. afford the loan. I think that's a good thing. Right. I, I think it's good that we don't see stated income products everywhere. Yeah, they're out there. Yes, you can get those kind of loans. You're going to pay a premium they're, for it. They're, they're basically private money loans, just, and you're going to pay for yeah. it. And, it's an and insignificant it's, part of the market and that's it's gonna not going to hurt equity you based, or I. It's also an equity-based loan, so you can't come in and get that stated income private loan for you know zero down. That doesn't exist, and that was the big problem that we had. So... I, I don't agree with the rationale that, you know, banks aren't lending and that's why we need to change it. You know, you, you are closer to these numbers than I am. Um, how much business did Central Coast Lending do in 2016? Uh, $140 million of business. That's a lot of business. Um, we in primarily slow county business. Yeah, and we go back and add up. I mean, this company for us was was it was January second, two thousand and eight was mm -hmm. our incorporation date. If you run off nine years worth of production, um, I I had the stat for a minute. It's 
a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It's in the, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that have been loaned out here in Slow County. Billion, yeah. yeah, approaching a billion. <laughs> so whenever somebody says the banks aren't lending money, I always want to go, yeah, you're you're kind of helping now spread a headline. Uh, to me, that's a myth. I do think the banks are lending money. Um, are they being more conservative than they had been? Of course they are. They're making sure that you... Um, no one thing satisfies another. We got into this trouble because they ended up saying, hey, well, we'll let your credit satisfy your income requirement. Nah, we don't do that anymore. You got you to gotta satisfy all the requirements or you don't get to get a loan. So is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I kind of, like I said, we've learned how to operate within the confines. It's going well. I'd like to see a lot of that kept together. If you guys need loan help this week, call us at 543-LOAN or visit us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Uh, have a great week. We'll be back next week for a whole nother episode.